Let me ask you something. If you're trying to convince someone to, to try something uh, new, to experience something new, maybe a, a new hairstylist or, or a restaurant or a new place to go, whatever, what do you do? Well, you begin with your own experience, right? For example, when uh, my wife Nancy and I lived in Chicago when I was attending seminary, one of the things that we liked to do was about a month, once a month or so, we would go and try uh, kind of a different new ethnic food, uh, both coming from uh, smaller towns. We'd done some traveling, but we, Chicago was a place with a lot of different uh, ethnic kind of small parts of town and villages and, and food, and so we thought we would uh, kind of explore that way. And so we would pick a place out and we would go there, and most of the time we had great experiences. Once in a while we would have um, interesting experiences. Um, but there was one place in particular that we really, really liked a lot. Well, there was two, but the one I went to, well, there's one called Races, which is uh, an Iranian restaurant in an area of Chicago called Andersonville. Well, uh, it used to be called Andersonville because of, uh, it was full of Swedish immigrants. Now it's kind of turned over and there's Middle Eastern and all, all sorts of kind of a melting pot. But there's a place called Races that has served great food, large portions, which I liked, moderately priced, which my wife liked, and uh, it was a great atmosphere. So whenever I get back to Chicago... Uh, I try to go to, to races, uh, and usually when I'm back in Chicago, it's for a pastor's meeting or a conference or something like that. And, and so um, when I go, I want others to share this love and experience of races, so I will bring them along. Uh, I try to convert them, I guess, in a sense, by beginning with my experience and then giving them the chance to experience it themselves. Well, in our passage for today from John, uh, that's exactly, uh, to a certain degree, what the Apostle John is doing. He's introducing people to Christ. He's sharing examples of how people have come to Christ um, and inviting them to to come to Christ. Now, if you remember, John was uh, one of the disciples who was closest to Jesus. There were the 12, of course, but then there was an inner circle of three that were the closest to Jesus, James, Peter, and and John, the author of this gospel. And and John, uh, a number of places in the scripture, is referred to as the apostle whom Jesus loved. Now, certainly, Jesus loved all the apostles, but there was a special bond and connection between uh, Jesus and John. They'd experienced a lot together, and in John's gospel, John begins by telling his story about how he first met Jesus, and then he includes four other disciples in this story in John chapter 1. Now, in this story, there are a couple different ways that people come to faith in Christ. I want to focus in on those because um, my experience and belief is that uh, even though all of us come to faith in Christ through some general principles, God relates to each one of us as individuals in, in different ways. So each person's experience with Christ is unique and special and powerful. For example, the first two disciples who heard John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, heard this, and in response, they, they sought out Jesus for themselves. They heard something interesting from somebody they trusted, and they went and decided to check Jesus out for themselves. One of those two um, uh, was a man named Andrew, who brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus, who had only begun to follow Jesus the day before. The third one in John chapter 1 is Philip, who seemed to have no, uh, nobody speaking into his life spiritually, And so Jesus sought him out himself and said, come and follow me. And then finally in this passage, what we'll look at is Nathaniel, 
Nathaniel, a man whom Philip told about Jesus, invited Jesus to come and experience. You know, our, my own story of coming to Christ is, is different from those in, in John chapter 1. I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home with godly parents and godly grandparents. Uh, I went to church every Sunday, Sunday school as well. Um, I heard the Bible stories from an early age. Uh, we learned Bible songs and went to vacation in Bible school. Uh, just about everybody I knew uh, in my circle of influence as a young kid were, were Christians. Uh, and I remember one night as a young boy, um, I uh, was laying in bed after reading a Bible story. I'd turn off the light and lay there by myself. And, and God revealed himself in, in a powerful way. His presence was so real and so intimate and overwhelming that I, that I cried out to God and asked Jesus to save me. And I felt a deep sense and, and I believe that Christ saved me at that point. You know, each person's story, including my own, is, is, is really a miracle when you think about it. The fact that the God who created everything around us, who's all-powerful, uh, all-knowing, who's sovereign over everything, would reach out and connect with us as individuals, connect with us and draw us to faith in Him. That's, that's really, truly miraculous when you think about it. Uh, so this morning we're going to be looking at how people come to faith in Christ and how we, as followers of Christ, can participate in how God draws people to himself. First, let's begin with um, Andrew. Uh, he's the first one we come to in John chapter 1 in this passage. And Andrew is an interesting character. Uh, he kind of flies underneath the radar. We really don't know a whole lot about Andrew. Not as much, certainly, as we do about some of the other disciples. Um, but we can infer that he's an eager person spiritually and that he's quick to respond because we see and we know that he's been following John the Baptist around for a while, trying to learn, wanting to be impacted. John the Baptist is sort of a, a spiritual mentor of his. And so when John the Baptist cries out, look, it's the Lamb of God, Andrew is quick to believe and to fall in step behind Jesus. And Jesus, we're told in John 1, notices this and asks, what are you looking for? Now, it's interesting to note that the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, in fact, the very first words Jesus utters in, a, in the start of his public ministry, come in the form of a question. Jesus doesn't come into the world and announce, I am the Messiah, I'm the Lamb of God, or, or I'm a very special person, listen to me. He doesn't say any of that. He just simply begins with a question. You know, I've always been fascinated by the questions that God asks people in the scripture. And, and this, this question that Jesus asked here in John 1 <laughs> goes right to the heart of life. What are you looking for? He asked. In other words, what do you want out of life? What, what do you need? What is missing? What are you looking for? Well, Andrew and the other disciple here are, are thrown a little bit by this line of questioning. And they stammer out, well, where do you live? And Jesus responds gently, well, why don't you come and see? And so the two disciples here spend the next day with Jesus. They spend the day with Jesus and, and their curiosity begins to turn into conviction. And then their conviction begins to turn into belief that this really is the Son of God, that he really is the Lamb of God, and that Jesus really is the answer to the question, what are you looking for? You know, what's wonderful about Andrew is that the fact whenever we do see him in Scripture, he's bringing people to meet Jesus. 
We don't have a lot about him in the Bible, but whenever we see him, he's introducing people to Christ. Here he brings his brother, Simon Peter. Another time, remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 when this little boy brings a few loaves and fish to Jesus and Jesus multiplies them and feeds 5,000 people? Andrew is the one who brings the boy to Jesus. And then we read some uh, later uh, of some Greek men, some non-Jews, some Gentiles, that Peter brings and introduces to Jesus. That's what he did. It was his, his M.O. He saw somebody who needed Jesus, and it didn't make a difference to him whether it was family member, I don't want to offend them, or was it a young boy, oh, they wouldn't understand, we don't relate, or was it some, or it didn't make a difference if it was somebody from a different um, ethnic group, a Gentile, a non-Jew. He brought them and invited them to meet Jesus, to come and see. You know, Andrew is a great example for us because the vast majority of people who come to faith in Christ do so through the influence of, of a, and, and invitation of a friend. And, and that's great news for us because that means we don't have to be Billy Graham. We don't have to be a spiritual giant. Andrew certainly wasn't. He'd known Christ for one day. You don't have to be a charismatic leader. Andrew is in the background most of the time in Scripture. You don't have to pound a pulpit. You don't have to have all the answers. You simply just need to be willing and, and, and invite. Come and see. Tell them, this is what, this is who I've been looking for. This is what I've found. So we have Andrew's example. And next there's, there's Peter. When Andrew brings his brother Peter to Jesus, how does Jesus respond? He responds differently to, to uh, Peter than he does to Andrew, again relating to each person differently. Look at verse 42. It's kind of an interesting response too. Jesus looked at him, Peter, and said, You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which we're told later in Scripture means rock. Now that's an interesting phrase when it says Jesus looked at him. Because it can be translated, he looked right through him. Jesus looked at him, in other words, and knew him. He understood him. He knew everything about him. He looked right through him. And, you know, it come, you know I'm sure that was uncomfortable for, for Peter if he'd sensed that. Kind of like when uh, you're a kid and you've done something wrong and your parent looks at you and they don't know exactly what you've done, but you know that they know that you've done something and it's uncomfortable. They look right through you. They know what's going on. Well, but I think when Jesus looked at Peter, it wasn't a look of condemnation. It wasn't a look of accusation. It was compassion. It was understanding. And it was love. And again, it's interesting to note that it's the same word. Jesus looked at him. It's the same word and phrase that's used when Jesus looked at Peter after Peter had denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion. Now, Peter, I kind of picture as this kind of big, gruff guy who could bowl you over with his intensity and his bluster, sort of a, a bowl in the china closet. But Jesus seems to be saying to him, Peter, I've got your number. You don't fool me. You don't intimidate me but I see potential in your life. You'll be a leader and a rock for my disciples. You know, I'm guessing over the, the next couple of years together that uh, the other disciples had some laughs over this because of all Peter's bluster and passion. He was also a hot-tempered, impulsive man, hardly the type of person, a picture of a rock, somebody who would provide solid and firm leadership. But Jesus looked at Peter 
and he knew that Peter would grow into his name. Look now at verse 43. Next, Jesus finds Philip. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. You know, it's, it's funny. We often say things like, well, five years ago or five months ago, five weeks ago, 50 years ago, I found Jesus. Well, God wasn't the one who was lost. You and I were. And sometimes, like in this case with Philip, we are found without anybody else being a part of the dynamic. Maybe somebody is reading the Bible alone in a hotel room or, or watching a, a TV preacher or seeing alone at home thinking about their life and something pops back to them that they've heard about God and they accept Christ and Christ invites them in and they're saved. And so now Philip goes, he's, he's found by Christ and and Philip then goes and, re- and leads somebody else to the Lord. Look at verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and, and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Nathanael, again, was an interesting guy. Real straightforward, very practical. He had a strong grasp of reality, but he also had a strong and soft, sensitive heart. And so when Philip tells him, that Jesus is the answer to what they've been looking for. He's a little bit skeptical, understandably. Verse 46, Nazareth. Can anything good from Nazareth? Nathaniel asked. Now, it's important to note that Nazareth had a pretty rough reputation as a time, as a town. Uh, not exactly a bastion of Jewish culture and religious ideal. It'd be sort of like saying Jesus of Las Vegas, something like that. But notice how Philip responds. He's passionate about Jesus. He's found Jesus. He thinks he's a, he believes he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. But he doesn't argue. And he doesn't get defensive. He doesn't go on the offensive. He simply invites. Come and see. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't supposed to know our stuff, to have answers, to be able to engage in dialogue and all that. That's important. We are called to be ready to have, give a a reason for the hope within us, Peter says in First Peter. But we're not usually effective when we try to browbeat or argue people into a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes the best thing to do is simply to invite and say, come and see. And that's how Nathaniel comes to Jesus. And then when Jesus sees Nathaniel coming, look at verse 47. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Now, Nathaniel wasn't born yesterday. He's not naive. It's not his first time around the block. So he responds, "Uh, wait a minute, how do you know me? Maybe he thought Jesus was trying to win him over with flattery, trying to snow job him. I don't know. Uh, There probably were a lot of itinerant preachers and guys who claimed to have special knowledge and uh, and, and, and Nathaniel knew that had seen his share. And so when Jesus greets him, he says, in essence, yeah, right. How do, you, how do you know me? And Jesus blows him away in verse 48. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. 
And Nathanael, to his credit, instantly realizes who Jesus is and declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and you are the King of Israel. Now, I believe that the reason Nathanael was able to respond like that was because he was a seeker of truth. He had been on a, a long time intentional, sincere request or sincere quest to understand God. Uh, and whether we're a sincere skeptic or a long time believer, this is the attitude that we are to have. We are to be seekers of truth. We are to seek more of Christ. We are to seek and to find God. And there, there are many ways that we can do that. It's through Bible reading, through prayer, through fellowship with other believers, through worship, through service, through time alone with God in nature, reflecting on who he is and his power and his might. Uh, but anyway, because of Nathaniel's search for truth and, and, and his good-heartedness, uh, he instantly understood who Jesus was. Now, there's a few things that we can take from Nathaniel's encounter. First, God will always, always reveal himself to those who sincerely seek him. Jeremiah 33.3 promises us that when he says, Come to me and and, and call to me and, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things. In other words, I will reveal myself to you. I will reveal my, my ways. I will reveal to you my will. Call to me with a sincere heart. God promises us that. And it might take time and it might happen through a variety of ways, but God will always answer a sincere prayer to reveal himself. Something else that we can pull out of this when we want to share our faith is it's a great way to challenge someone who demonstrates spiritual interest. Just like Philip did, tell somebody, if you're sincere in your faith, if you really want to know who the Son of God is, Check Jesus out. Come, come and see. And challenge them to, to follow Jesus and see if it's true. Challenge them to read God's word and ask him to reveal himself. Challenge them to dialogue with a, a sincere believer that they trust. Tell them to pray sincerely just for God to show them the truth, and, and God will answer that prayer. Now, this morning, maybe you are that person. Maybe you're a little skeptical. Uh, about this whole Christianity Jesus thing. And, and you're just here because, well, your kids need to be in Sunday school. It's good for them. Or maybe your friend twisted your arm or maybe your spouse has dragged you here on a weekly basis. If, if that describes you, I, I encourage you to sincerely ask God to reveal the truth. I invite you to come and see, to check Jesus out and to see if he really is who he says he is. Final thought, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the majority of us want to see our friends and our family come to Christ, and, and many have been trying for a long time, and we don't see a whole lot of fruit sometimes. But remember this, we don't hear much about Andrew, but history would have been much, much different if he had not brought his brother Simon to meet Jesus Christ. Because Peter, we see later in Scripture, was used of God in the book of Acts to lead thousands of people to faith in Christ. And Peter was one of the founding fathers of the church. One man leading another man to Jesus Christ 
and the re results have changed history. There's another example of this, um, more recent. Um, Rich, Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, um, talks about uh, the domino theory of spiritual impact, where one person impacts another person and begins to build and so on and so forth. And he tells a story about a, uh, a man named Robert Wilder, who was a missionary kid in India in the 1880s. Uh, and he was preparing to go back to the field, and he signed a pledge that he would do so along with some of his friends, but then became very ill, physically so frail he could not go back. Uh, but he didn't stay on the sidelines. Instead, he encouraged others to take up the task, and one domino fell. And he was doing a preaching tour through Chicago, and he, he spoke to an audience that included a man named Samuel Moffat, and Moffat also signed the pledge, and within two years, he landed in Korea, and another domino fell. A few years later, uh, Moffat shared the gospel with a man who had become disillusioned with his uh, Taoist faith. And Kiel Sun Chu trusted Christ, and another domino fell. In 1907, Kiel was one of the leaders of the Pyongyang Revival. In January of that year, spontaneous prayer and confession broke out all over the land, and thousands of dominoes fell. And those days are seen as the birth of an independent, self-sustaining Korean church. When Kiel died in 1935, 5,000 people attended his funeral. And the church in Korea now numbers about 15 million. And it sends more foreign missionaries out than any other country in the world outside of the U.S. And millions of dominoes continue to fall. John 1 shows us that we don't have to be spiritual giants to bring people to Christ. And John 1 shows us that we don't have to be charismatic or a champion debater. We don't have to be a longtime follower of Christ. We don't have to have all the answers. Andrew had been following Jesus for one day when he brought his brother to Christ. We are simply called, like he did, like Philip did, to do our part, to be part of, the, of, the, of God's chain of multiplying believers to be part of what Jesus Christ is doing. We simply have to be willing to say, come and see, check out what I've found. I believe he is the Son of God. And I believe that he is the answer to the question, what are you looking for? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for the love that he shows us, that he looks at us and he knows everything about us. And yet he does not reject, he initiates, he invites, and he calls. Lord Jesus, we in turn uh, want to be people who invite. People who like um, Andrew and who like Philip invite their friends to come and and check out Jesus. Test Him and see if what He says is true. Test Him and see if who He is is who He says He is. Lord Jesus, as individuals and as a church, we want to be used of You. So Lord, help us to be part of, of what You're building, Your kingdom, one person, one life at a time. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.